When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Ah, yes, a very good evening, everyone, and welcome along to the Sporting Capital on this Thursday night with the weekend finally on the horizon. Damian Watson here filling in for Sammy Hargraves on the eve of the Commonwealth Games opening ceremony. A big thanks to Sammy Edmund and David King as well for their in-depth look at the AFL round ahead. Round 20, can you believe we're already there? Uh, That was on the picks, of course. I'm interested to hear your predictions for the round of footy ahead as well. Let us know on the temper text machine via 0433981116 as to what you are looking forward to most this weekend in the AFL world. T-E-M-P-U-R a mattress like no other. And of course, feel free to give us a call. The lines are open. 1-300-736-736 I'll recap the AFL team selections in just a moment in case you missed it as you're driving home tonight. Always intrigued to hear your thoughts on the ins and outs. A couple of statements made, particularly from a Carlton and Western Bulldogs point of view. We'll get to those in just a moment. We've got a good show tonight. Hopefully you enjoy it. We'll be going direct to Birmingham ahead of the Commonwealth Games opening ceremony which of course commences early tomorrow morning Australian time. We'll have a chat to one of the best fast bowlers in women's cricket throughout the world, Australian Megan Shute, as cricket makes its return to the Commonwealth Games for the first time since 1998. That was back in Kuala Lumpur, which I think from memory the Aussies won silver in men's 50-over cricket. It'll be women's 20-over cricket this time round. Also, Commonwealth Games, Lord Bowls gold medalist Lindsay Clark will join us later in the program. Happy to hear from you via one 300 736736 736 or on the temper text machine via 0433981116 about what you're looking forward to most regarding the Commonwealth Games and also your favourite Commonwealth Games memory as well in history throughout the night. There've been plenty over the journey. Raylene Boyle, of course, 40 years ago, can you believe, when she closed out her career on home soil in Brisbane back in 1982. The famous moment with Kerry McCann entering the MCG. She passed away only a few years after that. Uh, 2006, of course, when Melbourne hosted it in front of that packed house. Also tonight, Channel 7 commentator Nigel Carmody will provide us with a VFL preview of the weekend's round of matches. Matty Bungard will join us 
later tonight to give an update on tonight's NRL encounter between Manly and the Sydney Roosters, which has an extra layer of complexity to it. There's no doubt about that after seven Sea Eagles players boycotted the match due to the jumper situation, which has been highlighted ad nauseum throughout the week. And it's a very important game for both sides Take away the external noise. An important game for both teams. Eighth and ninth on the table at this late stage in the NRL season. So a blockbuster in that sense when you look at it from an on-field perspective as well tonight, Thursday night NRL action. So looking forward to that. Also, Sam Duncan will enter the show for his usual sports media and business segment. Let's recap the team selections, though, for the weekend in AFL. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts. one 736 736 to ring in and via the temper text machine on 0433-981116. Big clash between Fremantle and Melbourne. Happy to hear your tips as well, by the way. Frio taking on the Demons. Rory Lobb comes in for the Dockers. Bailey Bamfield has been omitted. And, of course, Nat Fife is out injured. For the Demons, they welcome back Jaden Hunt, who was pretty good in the VFL for Casey last week against Footscray. Jake Lever comes back into the side as well. Adam Tomlinson, the defender, has been omitted. James Harms is out injured and Toby Bedford is being managed. Certainly his crumbing capabilities could well be missed. Also, the Adelaide v Carlton game at the Adelaide Oval. Josh Worrell comes in for the Crows and Tom Duday is out injured for the Blues. They made a bit of a statement here. Matt Owies and Mark Pittnett in the side, but Jack Silvani has been omitted. Josh Huddy of course, being managed, and Jack Nunes is a medical sub. So a bit of a statement there from the Blues hierarchy. Collingwood take on Port Adelaide at the MCG, of course. Jordan, Jordan Degoe comes back into the side. Brody Meyer check out injured. Josh Carmichael, who was absolutely brilliant in the last quarter, on the weekend against the Bombers, kicked two final quarter goals at crucial stages. He's been a very good pickup as part of the mid-season draft. Uh, medical sub for this weekend for the Pies. Lockie Jones, Trent McKenzie and Xavier Dersma come in for the power. Dan Houston out injured. Riley Bonner out due to health and safety protocols. Tom Cleary has been omitted along with Willem Drew as Ollie Wines and Tom Jonas both celebrate their 200th games respectively. Geelong, of course, hosting the Western Bulldogs, an important game at GMHBA Stadium as the Dogs continue to fight for a top eight spot and the Cats looking to solidify their position at the top echelon as well. Jonathan Segler and Tom Stewart come in for the Cats. Reese Stanley out injured. Zach Tui out due to health and safety protocols as well, but I think he's the only one in that respect from a Geelong point of view for the dogs. Caleb Daniel, a big inclusion as we know. We know about his capabilities and just the zest he provides on the field. Zane Cordy comes in. He wasn't too bad. He played sort of a key defensive post. I was watching him at the Witten Oval last weekend for Footscray against Casey and he wasn't too bad in that role and Alex Keith has been omitted. So another big statement made from a Bulldogs point of view. Lockie McNeil omitted. He'll probably go back into the VFL lineup where he's been pretty sturdy when he's been in that lineup this season. And Adam Trelaw out injured as well. one 736 if you want to ring in as well. Your thoughts on those statements in particular from a Carlton and Western Bulldogs point of view. Interesting selections there. St Kilda v Hawford at Marvel Stadium. Dan Hatterbury comes back in for St Kilda. Been waiting a long time in that respect. Tommy Campbell's been very good for Sandringham this season as that key ruck post. He's going to be an interesting inclusion for the Saints. Jack Billings out injured. Jay Gresham is going to miss the rest of the season due to a knee injury. I think he's having PCL treatment, so we wish him all the best. Ryan Burns has been omitted. For the Hawks, GF Kaczynski and Butler come in. And Denver Granger Barras has been omitted. Jarman Impey being managed. Neb Reeves out injured as well from a Hawthorne point of view. And the Battle of the Bridge, a crucial game for the Swans at the SCG. 
No real changes for the Swans lineup. Harry Perryman, Jesse Hogan, Josh Kelly, Lockie Whitfield, Leek Aaliyah makes his debut, and Tom Green. All interesting and big inclusions for the Giants as well. We know the capabilities of some of those players. Good to see Leek Aaliyah make his debut. He's been battling manfully in the VFL this season for GWS. Jake Riccardi, a big omission. Kira Briggs has been omitted along with Lockie Keith, Tanner Bruin, Xavier O'Halloran and Zach Sproul. And on the Sunday suite of matches, Essendon taking on North Melbourne at Marvel Stadium. few inclusions for the Bombers. Archie Perkins, James Stewart, who applies as a big focal point. Jai Menzi has been very good in recent weeks in the VFL. Massimo D'Ambrosio, what a pickup he's been from a mid-season draft point of view. Interestingly enough, it's hard to believe about 10 weeks ago he was playing for the Richmond VFL side, then moved to the Essendon VFL side, and now he's playing at AFL level with the Bombers. So he comes back in. Nick Bryan also an inclusion for the Bombers, an interesting acquisition there for North Melbourne. A bevy of inclusions. Jack Barney, Jackson Archer, of course, the son of Glenn Archer. Josh Gota has been pretty good at VFL level and makes his debut. He's been certainly a penetrating kick at VFL level. I know North have struggled in the reserves camp so far this season. But he's one to watch, I think. Can drift in and out of games, but certainly one to watch. Josh Walker, Callan Dawson, who's been a very good defender at VFL level, comes into the side for the first time. Kane Turner and Nick Larkey, also other inclusions for the Kangaroos. Aaron Hall, there's a bevy out, of course, due to health and safety protocols. Uh, Aaron Hall, Aidan Core, Paul Curtis, and Flynn Perez out due to suspension as well. For the Gold Coast v West Coast game, Hawago Paul Oye, the great Papua New Gideon inclusion. Jake Bowes, uh, Malcolm Roses come, comes into the side as well. Mac Andrew, what a story he has been at VFL level as a defender. He makes his debut for the Suns. Charlie Ballard is out injured for the Eagles. Greg Clark, Hugh Dixon, Jack Petrocelli, Nick Natanui, a big inclusion. Sam Petrovsky, Seaton, Willie Rioli and Zach Langdon come in. Alex Wiverton's out injured along with Josh Rotham and Rep Bazzo. Of course, Josh Kennedy being managed at this point. Richmond v Brisbane, such a crucial game for both sides for different reasons. For the Tigers, Jack Ross, Ryan Mansell comes back in from the VFL lineup. Thompson Dow, who's been pretty good at VFL level as a consistent player this season throughout the midfield and also off halfback. Tom Lynch comes in as well for the Tigers. Hugo Ralph Smith has been omitted. Devin Robertson, Jackson Pryor, Caden Coleman and Nakia Cockatoo, all inclusions for the Lions with Daniel Rich, the veteran, out injured. one 300 3-6 to ring in. Let's head to Annie, who's in Juan Turner and joins us on the open line. How are you, Annie? Uh, good, thanks, mate. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was just listening to the uh, uh, Kingy before, mm-hmm. uh, congratulating Joel Salwood uh, for his upcoming yes. 350 games. Um, uh, what about Shane Edwards, 300 games? I just thought he's missed in. Yeah, and what a, I think we should congratulate him as well for 300 games. Well, he certainly deserves all the plaudits that are out there, Shane Edwards. And I know he's an underrated player because he's not the most flamboyant player out there on the park, but he's been such a consistent contributor. I think he was part of that 06 draft class. He was standing alongside. They did a bit of a mimic where he was standing alongside Jack Revolt uh, back in yep. 2006, and they did a bit of a reunion picture in the same spot out, outside Absolutely. of Absolutely. And you had... Um, Francis Burke and KB there and Jack Revolt and uh, Shane Edwards. It was it was marvellous, absolutely. You, well, you think about it, not many players have played 300 games for the Tigers that are still living, of course. Uh, where does Shane Edwards yep. sit uh, in your eyes, Annie? Uh, wow. I mean, we won uh, 2017 and Shane Edwards 
unbelievable. And then 19 and 20, and he's been in all those games, yep. all those uh, grand finals and premierships. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I just think, unfortunately, he's probably going to uh, be his last game uh, this season, at the end of the season. But hopefully we've got enough momentum to get up and uh, go all the way. Hopefully, yeah. That's it. And hopefully they do pay tribute to him. It's such an important game for the yeah. Tigers against the Lions. Do you think you'll win, Annie? I think we will. I think uh, Shane Edwards' 300th game will get them over the line. It, it, that momentum. Um, and just to think what he's given to the club. And that's how the Tigers roll. It, it's just momentum, team play. And that, that's how they've got they've won these premierships. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic team. Um, and they're about team. It's all about a team. It's not about I, it's team play. Oh. And, yeah, they're wonderful. Yeah, just before I let you go, Annie, news today, I guess, that Liam Baker has re-signed with the club. Damien Hardwick came out and said he has no doubt Dusty will stay at Richmond. What are your thoughts on that? And Baker, such a loved player at Richmond, as we know. Yeah, two years for Baker. I was getting a bit concerned he'd go back to WA. I've raped about that. Um, uh, Dusty, yeah, I feel quite, uh, I feel confident that Dusty's going to stay after Harbrook, what he said this morning. Mm. He's a required player and he's got another two years. Um, I think he will stay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, good on you, Annie. Thanks so much for rigging in. All the best for the weekend and good luck cheering on the Tigers. Okay, thank you so much for my call. No thank worries. you. Good stuff. Annie from One Turner there joining us on the open line. Feel free to ring in to have your say on the team selections and also your predictions for the weekend ahead, not only in the AFL but in general sport as well. one 736 736 AG off the temper text machine. T-E-M-P-U-R, a mattress like no other. Hoping from next year we have Thursday night games every week. And I suppose it's been a sentiment echoed by a lot of people. Dean from Crib Point, his tips for this weekend, round 20 action in the AFL. Fremantle to, to defeat Melbourne by just two points in a tight contest. Carlton by 15 over the Crows. We know how important that game is for the Blues because they've got a tough last few weeks of the season. Collingwood by 18, he reckons. Essendon by five. Geelong by 20. The Gold Coast by 33 over the Eagles. Richmond to defeat Brisbane by two points. That's an interesting selection. And the Saints by 15 over the Hawks. And he's looking forward to seeing some of the Commonwealth Games team sports as Dean off the text machine. Rugby sevens, cricket, netball, hockey and bowls. I think one of the more underrated Commonwealth Games moments, and it doesn't get spoken about because I think the Australians lost, but when they played the double overtime match in the netball back 20 years ago at Manchester in 2002 against New Zealand, one of the great netball matches of all time. So that's a favourite Commonwealth Games memory for me. That's the first I can remember in my living memory, the Manchester Games in 02, and of course we held it in Melbourne in 2006. one 736 736 to ring in. Don't forget, you can text it as well on the temper text machine, 0433-981116. Interested to hear, A, your thoughts on the weekend of AFL footy, and B, what are you looking forward to most about the Commonwealth Games with the opening ceremony to get underway early tomorrow morning? This is the Sporting Capital on this Thursday night. Damian Watson with you.
Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of the Betfair Brownlow Lowdown for 2022. Damien Watson in the chair filling in this week and I'm joined by a man who's probably in one of the more enviable places on the planet at the moment. All thanks to Betfair, don't let bookies make the rules, back or lay, same game multis only at Betfair. Gamble responsibly, call 1-800-858-858. I speak of Tommy Haylock and he joins us direct from Darwin, ahead of the Darwin Cup Carnival. How are you Tommy? Oh, great, mate. Yes, great to be with you. Uh, plenty happening. I'm looking outside and it's uh, not a cloud in the sky here in Darwin. So um, I don't want to make the listeners too jealous, but it's uh, <laughs> it's brilliant at this time of year. And it's just starting to heat up as well. The uh, the weekend is going to be a big one. We've got uh, the Palmerston Sprint on Saturday. We've got the Darwin Cup Bowl Saturday night. And then obviously the big one, the Darwin Cup on Monday. So plenty more ahead. And I'm, I'll probably be tired when I touch base with you next week. Let's see. What's the temperature check at the moment? Thirty-four and humid. Uh, yeah, about that. Yeah, about, not too <laughs> humid, but about thirty-two or something like that. So you don't even need a check, mate. That's the brilliant thing. You just wake up and it's going to be hot and dry. Sensational. All right, let's review what happened last week as far as the effect on the Brownlow market is concerned, and we go back to one of the games of the season: Collingwood versus Essendon. Talk about sick beats. It was quite remarkable, wasn't it, with the Pies getting off to an absolute fly, kicking six goals to virtually nothing in the first term, but didn't it fluctuate and wasn't it reflect on the market, reflected, I guess, on the market as well? Yeah, so it was my one vote last week in terms of uh, my bet, my one vote bet was backing Essendon to beat Collingwood, Damien, and uh, absolute sick beat. It's, oh. uh, it's amazing in terms of betting, but the beauty of Betfair, and I'll talk about this in a second, as you said, Collingwood kicked the first six goals of the match, they traded as low as a $1.07 at quarter time. So they were short, short price favourites at $1.07 at quarter time. Um, there were six goals, two to one point, 37 points up. Essendon came back, hit the hit the lead in the uh, third quarter. They traded as low as $1.06. So you've had Collingwood traded $1.07, Essendon traded $1.06. Collingwood traded as high as $10 late in the piece and obviously got the chocolates after the, the siren. But the beauty of Betfair, Damien, you can actually set these bets up. You can call up as well, um, and you can do it all and lay off and hedge. And, and even if you were smarter than me, you could back Essendon at the 2.20, 2.30 mark during the week when I came on the show last week and, and set a little late trap up at that dollar ten or whatever and uh, have it in play, and that would have got matched and you would have won either way. So you can do bits and pieces like that on Betfair. That's the beauty of it. But um, a sick beat to start off the one vote, mate. Yes, exactly. And... Give us an honest answer. What was your reaction when Elliot firstly took the mark and then kicked the goal from very acute angle? Well, I was actually a bit out of range. I was at Kakadu, so oh. I ducked away for the weekend and uh, I got back and watched the last two minutes. And um, yeah, it's an amazing goal. Um, I uh, checked Twitter and social media, and Essendon supporters were blowing up, and Collingwood supporters are up and about. But all happening. That's it. Now your two votes related to Christian Petrarca. What are your thoughts on his Brownlow chances? There's certainly a significant amount of competition. Do you think he might shorten on the market? Yeah, well, I, I did last week, and I don't actually think he'll poll any votes on the weekend. So the Brownlow Metal Predictor on uh, betfair.com.au forward slash hub forward slash Brownlow dash metal dash predictor has all the stats there. Um, they haven't got Petraka polling this week, so I probably got this one wrong. But that said, he was... As much as $17 around last week, he's about that $13 mark. So he, he, even though he didn't poll, he's actually um, he's in the he's shortened. So I don't know what's happened there. But um, yeah. he's 17 to $13, about that $12 mark now. Um, 
he's shortened. And just going back to that, uh, Bontepelli, Jamar Ugelhagen, and then the one vote, maybe Oliver and Gorn fight it out, but Bont and uh, Jamar Ugelhagen will definitely fight out the three votes, you think. And that was another brilliant game of footy. Certainly was one of the rounds of the season. In fact, probably one of the rounds of the last few years, to be truthful. Mm. Now, you mentioned Clayton Oliver. That's relevant to your three votes. He had 28 possessions and 13 clearances in Melbourne's loss on the weekend. Yeah, I was, I've been turning his horn the last couple of weeks, Damien, and I, I still think he's a major player in the Brownlow. And we'll talk about the Firmers and, and whatnot in a, in a few minutes. But I still think he's a massive uh, chance. Now, he actually had his second lowest disposal tally of the year, but it's 28. He um, still had a big impact on the game. He had 28 disposals, managed 13 clearances and 21 contested, if you don't mind. So... They were both game highs. He may possibly sneak in for one vote. I thought Max Gorn, just watching the game, I thought Max Gorn was enormous in that last quarter. Um, his stats were, were fantastic. He had 25 possessions, five clearances, 40 hitouts, and his hitouts in the last quarter were influential. So I just I'm worried a little bit about the result. If Melbourne won, maybe Oliver. Um, I was cheering on Melbourne, that's for sure, through my... Uh, through my kick there, but uh, I still think he's a major player. We'll touch on that in a minute, but um, Oliver, he's, he's been around the mark and I still think he's pretty, I still think he's the one to beat, put it that way. All right, fair enough. Just reviewing some of the matches from last weekend, the draw on Friday night between Richmond and Fremantle and having a look at the statistics, Hayden Young and Andrew Brayshaw figuring prominently. Yes, now Hayden Brayshaw, um, Hayden Young, sorry, had uh, 10 coaches votes. Perfect. Best game of his season, 31 touches, 14 marks. Um, outstanding, outstanding performance. Um, Dion Prestia was good. Shea Bolton was good. Andrew Brayshaw probably uh, doesn't get the votes. He only had 156 metres gained, well down on his season average of 392. He had seven kicks and 21 handballs to make up his 28 possessions. Low-scoring match. Uh, I can't really see him polling, although he did get plenty of the ball. So um, that's probably the, the point to make from that match, but it was a bit of a bizarre match, wasn't it? Yeah, no doubt about that. You had a goalless third quarter between both sides, which is highly unusual even in this and day and age. <laughs> I read, a, I read a stat as well, Damien. The last score, the final score, 52 apiece. No team scored in the last 11 and a half minutes of the match. It's the longest ever in to, to finish a match that ended in a draw. The next best is only four minutes. So oh. no team scored in the last 11 and a half minutes. It's amazing. Trying to think of that match where it was four minutes. Uh, you're quite right. It's uh, quite remarkable, isn't it? That would test my statistical ability. <laughs> Brisbane versus the Gold Coast. Probably an underrated match in the sense that it was toing and froing for much of the game. Toot Miller, he's just been a model of consistency, hasn't he? And he exemplified that on the weekend. Yeah, spot on. He gets uh, he gets three. They got beaten, but Took Miller won the medal. He won the Ashcroft medal and 34 disposals, 20 kicks, if you don't mind. Eight coaches' votes. Um, Neil, Neil and Starsevich. Neil's the big one from the Brownlow medal perspective outside of Took Miller. He can get two or one here. Um, Neil was fantastic. He got eight coaches' votes um, as well. Uh, got a really good stat. Neil had 32 possessions, um, and obviously in a, a match-winning performance, um, they won the match, Brisbane. But Took Miller's a big firmer. He was 19 into $12 on the back of his um, Ashcroft medal. But um, interesting stat for you. One in every nine matches, Damien, or once a round, so that's 11%, a player polls three votes in a losing side since 2012. Wow. So that's 
one in every night. So one round, a, a one game a week, basically, a team loses and a team and someone from that team polls three votes. And Took Miller looks likely to do that again. So he'll be um, he'll make up one of those eleven percent in the last ten years. Um, also, there's been nineteen Ashcroft medals awarded um, in the last ten years. Fifteen of those have polled three votes. So that's seventy nine percent of the the medal winners, the feature medal winners, have polled three votes. That is significantly higher than any other medal. Um, to put it in perspective, I think the the Sydney um, well, the Sydney medal is about 1.2%, 1.2 votes per game, yep. whereas this is 2.74 votes per game for the medal winner. So they generally go on and poll three if you win the medal between the Brisbane and the Gold Coast. So you'd almost guarantee Took Miller um, to get three in that match. Now, we've spoken already at length about the Bulldogs v Melbourne game. Jamara was absolutely sensational with his five goals. Going to Carlton v GWS, certainly a hyped game as far as the Blues are concerned. And Sam Walsh, wasn't he absolutely brilliant? And Paddy Cripps just continuing to work in tandem. Yeah, spot on. Now, um, they're the big two. Saad was dominant. He got eight coaches' votes. He had a really good game. Cripps and Walsh got six coaches' votes apiece. Cripps had 34 possessions, one goal. He'll get votes. Walsh, 31 possessions as well. Um, the Brownlow medal predictors got both Cripps and Walsh fighting out for those three votes. But Saad could surprise here. As I said, he got more coaches' votes than Cripps and Walsh. So I think those three, if you're going back to this round, um, looking through the year on Brownlow night, I think the votes will be Saad, Cripps and Walsh. I think Cripps... We'll get three. I've got Walsh for two, but uh, they'll be fighting it out there, and they've shaken up the market a little bit, big firmers throughout the week. All right, and Port Adelaide v Geelong, another ripping contest, a high-scoring affair as well. How do we negotiate around that when you look at the statistics? Because there are a number of contributors there. It's really hard to dissect, and this will be a massive one for the models and and how it works. Um, It was a very even round. Tom Atkins um, had a perfect 10 coaches vote, so he was enormous. Uh, that's that's huge from that perspective. Um, he had um, 24 disposals, seven tackles. Tom Atkins, Dixon kicked two goals to two, had 23 possessions in the losing side. Uh, Dangerfield and Selwood, incredibly quiet for a, a winning team, which is um, amazing. They Dangerfield had 11 touches and a goal. Selwood, 13 touches. So that you very rarely see Geelong win and win well with those two polling or getting that, that, those kind of possessions. Hawkins will get votes. You'd think he kicked four goals and 15 possessions. Yeah. So, um, yeah, not not much from a Brownlow medal perspective, but just a couple of interesting stats there around Dagerfield and Selwood. Well, they do tend to like the goal kickers, though, the umpires when it comes to Brownlow votes. Now, just before we head to the break, Tommy, what were the round firmers and drifters? Yeah, let's do it. Took Miller was the biggest firmer. He polled, um, he's polled three in the, of the last four matches. He won the medal, obviously, as I said, and he's firm from about that $19 into $13. So he's the big mover. Cripps and Walsh, the other two, attracted plenty of market support on the back of their performance. As I said, I think they'll fight out the three votes as the Brownline medal predictor has it. All right, fantastic. On the other side of this break, on the Bitfair Brownlow Lowdown, we'll have a look at the round ahead of the players to watch. You're listening in. All thanks to Bitfair. Don't let bookies make the rules back or lay same-game multis only at Bitfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858 if you have any issues. Tom Haylock will rejoin us after the break. Welcome back to the Bitfair Brownlow Lowdown. Damian Watson and Tommy Haylock with you for Bitfair. Don't let bookies make the rules back or lay same-game multis only at Bitfair. Gamble responsibly, of course. Call one 800-858-858 if you have any issues. Let's take a look at the round ahead, Tommy, and some of the players to watch. Fremantle v Melbourne should be a beauty on Friday night. It deserves a marquee status, and there are a few 
potential advisors when it comes to staking a claim? Clayton Oliver, who we've spoken about already at length, being one of those. Yeah, this is one of the more open brown lows we've seen. Um, last year was a similar boat, which is fantastic, but it means I can come here and talk to you, which is great. But Friday night, absolute beauty, Fremantle versus Melbourne. I dare say whoever wins this game is going to go a long way to winning a Brownlow medal for the likes of Andrew Brayshaw, Clayton Oliver, Christian Petraka. So they're the three you've got to look out for Friday night. If you've got an opinion either way, if you think Fremantle are going to win, um, you might want to have something Brayshaw. If you think Melbourne are going to win, Oliver and Petraka um, might firm as well. Now, we go and have a look at their polling history. Um, Andrew Brayshaw hasn't polled in five games against Melbourne, which is interesting, but... He's had 28 and 29 disposals the last two times they've met. He was uh, fantastic in a 38-point win against Melbourne last time they met. He uh, got two coaches' votes, and he might have polled in that match. So he, he's he got a bit of a mixed form line against Melbourne, but if uh, Freeman will win, he's going to have to play well. So consider that. Clayton Oliver, 36 disposals last time they met in a, in a loss. Obviously, that was that 38-point loss. Um, he got two coaches' votes there. Round 1, 2021, he had 35 disposals and earned himself seven coaches' votes and three Brownlow medal votes against Fremantle. And Petraka, interestingly, he's never polled a Brownlow vote against Fremantle, wow. Damien. So there's a little interesting oh. stats. Um, obviously, round 11, he had 10 possessions, one of his quietest yeah. games for the year. He was a bit sick, I think, um, they said that. I don't know if they said that after the match or before the match, but he clearly wasn't himself. And um, yeah, that was a bit of a blip on the radar for Petraka. Yeah, no doubt about that. But you would suspect he would amend the record or atone for that record in, if it's not this match, the seasons to come. Adelaide v Carlton, certainly a lot of the line ramification-wise for the Blues. Paddy Cripps and Sam Walsh certainly have decent records against the Crows. Yeah, they were high up in the Brownlow last year. They look to be high up again this year. Cripps has a really good record against Adelaide. Last time they met in round 80, he had 35 disposals and two goals. The umpires gave him... A few free kicks. I think he got two goals from frees that night or that day. And prior to that, he had a couple of quiet games versus the, versus the Crows. Um, in, 2020, in 2018 and 2019, he had 37 and 39 disposals, respectively. So, um, and five Brownlow votes. So, he's, besides his two quietish games, um, he's dominated against the Crows. So, I'm looking for him to to poll really well. He's, I just think he's a ball. I think he'll be hard to hard for that Adelaide midfield to contain, and uh, he's starting to get back into some fine form. Sam Walsh, the other one, three votes when the two teams met in 2021. That was round 15. He had 38 disposals. Um, when they played in round eight, he had no coaches' votes, but he did have 26 possessions. So um, he was in the vets in, in the best, but he... Uh, Still accumulated possessions, but Cripps was clearly dominant when they met this time uh, early in the year. Yeah, that's right. Just having a look at the Gold Coast v West Coast game, Tommy. We've spoken about Took Miller before. It's interesting, coming into this season, he's had no career votes against the Eagles, which is intriguing given his consistency over his time, although he was pretty good in round one. Spot on. Um, yeah, no career votes, coach. No career votes against West Coast. Sorry. Um, similar to Petraka, they're probably due now, and I think Took Miller will have a field day against West Coast. Um, playing at home, round one when the two teams met, he was clearly best on ground. So he had that. Um, you'd think he polls by now. He would have polled a vote. He had 29 possessions when they met earlier in the year. Eight coaches' votes. No doubt he'll poll then. So I think he could have a big game against West Coast. I wouldn't be surprised if he firms again. He's in fine form. Took Miller.
That's right. And Richmond v Brisbane, Lockie Deal, a name synonymous with the word Brownlow in recent years, as we know. And he's been very, very good against the Tigers and had one of his career best days against them back in 2019. It's a crucial game as far as the season is concerned for both sides. You think he'll live up to the hype and live up to the expectation? Yeah, spot on. Now, if he goes to the Brownlow Meta Predictor on Betfair Hub, Lockie Neal's leading the Brownlow at the moment. So he's uh, 26 and a half votes. Andrew Brayshaw's on 25 and a half votes. Clayton Oliver, 24 and a half. So there's three votes separating those three, and only one vote behind is Christian Petraka. So um, he's on 23 and a half. You've got Paddy Cripps and Sam Walsh on 22 and 19 votes. Um, Lockie Neal, despite leading, is not favourite. He's uh, $4 at the moment. Andrew Brayshaw is $3.80. Mm. Oliver, $4.60. Um, so the market's almost identical to the Brownlow medal predictor, but just the, the two favourites are split. But as you said, this is a huge game, Richmond versus Brisbane this week. Neal, the last six times he's played Richmond, he's racked up 26, 26, 51, if you don't mind. Yes. 35, 23, and 37 disposals. So he's absolutely... Killing it against Richmond. Um, they don't usually tag at 51 in uh, round 23, 2019. That is phenomenal. He got three Brownlow votes in that losing uh, losing game. They lost for 27 points. You'd, you'd have to give him a, a three-voter after getting 51, wouldn't you, Damon? Oh, mind you, you remember the story about Greg Williams? He had 44 possessions in a game yes. for the Blues against Melbourne uh, back in 1993. Did not pull a Brownlow vote. That cost him the Brownlow. That was the year Wanganeen won. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love the hard luck stories. It's amazing. There's a few. I remember I'm a Crows man, and Andrew McLeod had something yes. like 30 and 3 and didn't get a vote late in the season. Um, 2001 when he was runner-up to Ackermanis. Yeah. yeah, that's right. You're all over it. Yeah, I remember um, that well. Yeah, so there's, there's a few hard luck stories, and luckily no no key chances have been suspended this year, which is um, interesting. But yeah, huge game, Richmond Brisbane. Brisbane need a win, and if they do, Neil no doubt will will get plenty of the ball. All right, let's go through your votes for the weekend ahead. Where's your one vote going? Yeah, so I'm advising my one vote play for the weekend, staying out of Fremantle Melbourne. I find it hard, hard to pick a, a winner. I think Fremantle. Uh, going really well defensively. Melbourne are just going at the moment. I think Melbourne will win. I'll tip Melbourne, but I'm keeping a close eye on the match and, more importantly, keeping a close eye on the Brownlow market. So you can still bet in play in the Brownlow market. So you can watch that, watch the match on Friday night, and if um, Oliver gets off to a good start or Petraka gets off to a good start or Fremantle look like winning, you can jump on that brown line metal market and start getting yourself into a position because they might shorten on the back of the team winning. So just that's my one voter. Just keep a close eye on the brown line market Friday night whilst watching the Fremantle-Melbourne game. And the two votes, I get the sense it'll be towards Paddy Cripps. Yes, spot on. Big watch on Cripper. I think he'll uh, dominate the Crows as he did earlier in the year. Um, Crows don't really have anyone to go with him. They've got a bit of a, a smaller, outsized midfield, and um, I think Cripps will dominate. He's a contested clearance beast. So two votes. Um, I'll be having something on Cripps um, and might trade out of him after this week, but I think he'll shorten on the back of a big game against Adelaide. And I'm going to concur with your free votes. Go ahead with it. Took Miller. All about Took Miller this week. Um, oh, I think he'll have a big day against West Coast. He's flying at the moment. I'll just have a, a quick look at his recent polling. Um, he's polled three out of the last four matches, uh, according to the Brownlow Medal Predictor. Two in round 16, two in round 17, an off game round 18, and then three last week. 
I think he'll poll again here, and I think he'll continue to shorten. So he's into $13 at the moment. Um, I think he'll shorten and uh, be shorter on the back of that, mate. Do you think because he plays for the Gold Coast, that has an adverse effect on his ability to... Look, ultimately, he does poll well, but does it have any adverse effect at all, given he plays for a lower-profile club, shall we say? It's really interesting. Winning's obviously a huge point in that... Um, in that it's sort of mid-table, aren't they? Yeah, they, they, obviously, if you win, you're more likely to poll votes. But um, the stat I read earlier about the um, Ashcroft medals a really interesting one, and, and that crossed my mind, Damien. Around obviously, they it's the highest fifteen of um, fifteen of nineteen Ashcroft medal winners have polled three votes. That's the highest by far for any medal. And I just wonder whether that's because Brisbane and Gold Coast more so aren't, aren't in that uh, spotlight, so they tend to the umpires tend to get sucked in by the the media voting for the winner. It's a really salient point. Um, I don't think so, but the, the media have started to pick on up on how good Took yeah. Miller is last year, and I think there might be a flow on effect this year. So um, I don't think it's a huge deterrent. No, I think it'll still poll well this year. Well, that'll be intriguing. And just quickly, just recap the price that Lockie Neal is to win the Brownlow. I think that's not bad so, value. Oh, you can. Chime in. I'm sticking with Clayton Oliver at four dollars sixty. But okay. Lucky Neil four dollars. I'll be building a book. I'm tending to risk Brayshaw as favourite at the moment. Um, Lucky Neil four dollars. Clayton Oliver four dollars sixty. Petraka eleven. Cripps at eleven dollars fifty. And Miller, I think, will firm from that thirteen dollar mark on the back of a big game versus West Coast. All right. That's been another edition of the Betfair Brownlow Lowdown. Don't let bookies make the rules. Back or lay same game multis only at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call one eight hundred eight five eight eight five eight. Thanks, Toby. All the best, mate. Cheers. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Hope you're enjoying your Thursday night, wherever you may be listening on the SEN network. Dobia Watson here filling in for Sam Hargraves. Feel free to text it at any stage, 0433981116 on the temper text machine. Time now for our sports media analysis segment. We do this, of course, for Holmes Glen. Study sports business, health or building and construction. Apply now. Learn more, do more at Holmes Glen. And joining us on the line, as he always does each week, is Sam Duncan, the course leader of the sports media and sports business degree at Holmes Glen Institute. A lot happening in the media landscape, the sports media landscape, and a few interesting developments in recent days. Sam, welcome to you. Good to chat again. G'day, Damien. Yeah, always great to chat. Now, probably one of the stories that caught my eye over the last couple of days, we'll chat about the Commonwealth Games and the coverage and everything like that in just a moment, but from an AFL point of view, interesting article from Jake Nile in The Age yesterday in regards to some developments that could arise in the next TV rights deal with Foxtel very keen to have their own commentary team for every single game of the round, even if it clashes with Channel 7. 
And that's assuming that we have the same deal as we currently have. What are your thoughts on that and that development? Well, I think it's probably likely. Uh, I really think it's probably uh, more likely than not. If Foxtel and uh, 7 win the rights, I think we're going to see a slightly different model to what we see at the moment. For a start, I think Foxtel are going to want more exclusivity, either over games, um, into particular markets, or even days of the week. It's also been reported they want the Super Saturday, where they yes. pretty much have exclusivity over the entire day's games. And part of that is that they want more ownership over the look and feel of, of their product. Um, and they do it with the cricket, uh, the summer of cricket coverage, and they do it with uh, the NRL. Uh, and so I think it would seem more likely than not that they'll also follow suit with the AFL, having their own stamp, if you like, on the entire product that they purchase um, from the first siren to the last. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, and I think we're probably getting closer to, to seeing how all this plays out. And um, we're hearing quite a bit uh, about Foxtel and, and what they want, which means they're certainly neck deep in negotiations and, and probably uh, in the box seat. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm always fascinated by it. It might not be everyone's cup of tea, but at the end of the day, that's where a lot of the revenue comes for the game. You mentioned before about having a point of difference and doing it slightly differently. Do you think there'll be more of that humorous type that we see with the cricket? Because that, to me, this is just my point of view, that seems to be the point of difference that Fox aim for with their cricket coverage. It's more of a, I wouldn't say blokey, because there's a number of females on the coverage, as we know, but there's more of that humorous vaudevillian type of call of the cricket, whereas Channel 7 may be a little bit more serious. Do you think they'd try the same model with AFL? Potentially. And, you know, in many respects, we already kind of see it in the way that they book in the coverage. You know, they rely on personalities that definitely have great reports great banter with each other where they can mix this, the light and shade, if you like, the seriousness of, of footy, um, uh, you know, and the entertainment value because, after all, it is a sport. It is a game. Uh, but the other thing about their point of difference is they've generally got a bigger budget uh, and they've generally paid more for the rights too. I mean, if you look at the cricket rights, fundamentally... Cricket Australia's deal is with Foxtel and they needed a free-to-air partner to come on board as well to support them and um, they had seven come on board, largely because Cricket Australia <laughs> didn't want Channel 9 and, and largely because uh, Channel 10 had already put their massive offer forward of almost a billion dollars and got knocked back. So, absolutely. The other thing about Foxtel is they're appealing to an audience that's specifically tuning in for the product. Uh, for the game. They are generally hardcore fans. And so the product will be different because Channel 7 need to appeal to more types, to many types, people that might only be watching one game and they want to make sure that they keep watching throughout the entire game because um, their ratings are dependent on it. So it will tend to be a more generalist um, uh, coverage too. And even at half time, they might interview the Oz kicker um, and do other colour pieces to keep those casual, um, more generalist, less hardcore fans watching. So, yeah, there's definitely going to be differences, as there already are. 
Yes, Sam Duncan joining us from the Holmes Glen Institute. Just in terms of the deal itself, what are you hearing in regards to where it might be heading? Because we know about Paramount and Channel 10 putting in a big bid to try and up the price and challenge Fox and Channel 7 and that little consortium that they have. Do you think it'll be a bit same-same or will we see a difference? Yeah, it's really hard to know, to be honest. Uh, What was really interesting was that there was lots of reports that Channel 10 and together an almost knockout blow where they were going to pay in excess of $600 million a year. And then it was reported today that that may not have happened. That uh, the AFL might have leveraged um, (laughs) that uh, to go back to Foxtel and Seven to say, look, this is one of the likely outcomes, and you know, you know, this is what you would need to come up with to be competitive. Look, uh, there's no doubt that Ten and Paramount are cashed up, and Paramount, if you look at their activity over the last. Um, 12 to 24 months, they are going big on media, uh, sorry, sports uh, rights. But don't underestimate Foxtel. I mean, they have used A-grade sports, Category A sports, since it first came to Australia in the 90s to penetrate um, Australian living rooms and now mobile phones and devices. It is fundamental to their um, entire business model uh, to have the exclusive rights for sports that Australians just can't get enough of. Uh, so I think they'll be in it right till the end. Look, if I was a betting man, I would say the incumbents of Seven and Foxtel are probably uh, still in the box seat. Uh, and it seems like the AFL is negotiating with them um, fairly closely. For example, we're not getting the reports about what Tim would do and what Paramount would do and what they're asking for and how many games would be streamed yeah. and who'd be sharing commentary duties, et cetera, et cetera. But we seem to be getting a fair bit of news about what Foxtel are asking for and what they would like. Yeah, be interesting. Off the SMS, Foxtel commentators usurp Channel 7 every day of the week would be a welcome change. Now, just in terms of the Commonwealth Games coverage, Sam, with the opening ceremony tomorrow, Jason Sydney wants to know, could you please mention to us how visually impaired people can follow the Commonwealth Games on SEM? Will there be a dedicated channel on the SEN app? Yes, they will. And I think it'll be on a number of the dial stations as well just to tune into your regular markets and have a look at the guy but thank you jace for sending that through interesting isn't it the commonwealth games to my knowledge you could correct me if i'm wrong sam is this the last leg of channel seven's current deal where they sort of bought out a suite of events regarding the olympics commonwealth games summer and winter olympics uh, i'm including in that as well is this the last part of their current deal from memory it is, it is, and, and it's always interesting uh, because when the New Deal uh, or the, the negotiations come up and take place, I think although sometimes these events creep up on us without much fanfare and we're all sitting there thinking, oh, goodness me, the Commonwealth Games are starting soon, um, they generally continue to rate well. Um, it's a little bit like the Winter Olympics. We're not really a Winter Olympics nation, um, but they still rated very well for Channel 7, getting at times uh, in excess of a million people tuning in yeah. um, for marquee events where Australians <laughs> were... Yeah, where Australians were, were you know, um, in the midst of, of competing for medals. It'll be really interesting to see how the Commonwealth is rate because... 
from an identity perspective, it's also become a little bit of an interesting event. I mean, increasingly uh, younger, well, not just younger sports fans, but sports fans uh, uh, in the global um, you know, stage of today gravitate towards the world's best and love watching, you know, the world's best compete against each other. Now, with the Commonwealth Games, there'll be several events where the world not there. There'll be several events um, where perhaps the top 10 in the world are not there because they're not part of the Commonwealth. Mm. So what is our appetite to watch and still watch people giving their best and still watch people, um, you know, striving to reach their potential. What's our appetite to watch that rather than watching the world's best like we can do at the Olympics? I'm really interested to see um, what the numbers are like in a week's time. It's changed a lot too, the TV coverage, because I I can remember as a kid, Sam, watching the Manchester Commonwealth Games and Channel 7 put a lot of resources into it because they had foregone the AFL rights. They didn't have it during that period so they sent a lot of commentators up to Manchester to do a lot of the action and the stories etc because they probably had the resources because these days we see a lot of sport called off the TV back here in Australia I get the sense it'll be a little bit different I think Bruce might be going up there to call the athletics but not as many people would be actually doing it from the venue itself or the venues of the city well, we're seeing a lot of that, not just for mega events, but even domestic sports. Like, not all commentary teams are travelling no. um, to all venues across Australia to call AFL matches. And we saw with the Winter Olympics uh, earlier this year um, that it was the same. There was a sprinkling of um, Channel 7 reporters and commentators on the ground whilst the rest of them were back in Australia. And that's becoming the norm, I mean, from a cost-cutting perspective as much as anything. Because let's be frank, uh, and we say this often, it's never been more difficult to make a buck uh, in mm. television land at the moment. Uh, and that'll also, by the way, influence the final figure of the AFL broadcasting rights too. I mean, if the broadcasters and the streamers are making all or at least some of their money back via advertisers and it's a weak market because it's a weaker economy, uh, that'll impact things. So, yeah, we're seeing that all the time. i got to say... Call me old-fashioned, but I prefer the commentators to be at the ground in the AFL because they are there to relay everything back to us, not just what we can see on our screen. They're there to relay everything else, the feel of the crowd, the atmosphere, the ups and downs, what's happening behind the play. And I just don't think that you can adequately do that calling off a screen, but it might be just something I've got to get used to. Oh, look, I agree with you. I think most commentators, if you ask them, prefer to be at the venue, but you can understand from a financial point of view why companies don't pay for flights and accommodation because it's just a drain on their budget. And ultimately, if you can still do the same job in the one spot, <laughs> it, it does make economic sense. But you're right, it's about that balance ultimately. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen off the temper text if you want to join in the conversation. AG is texted in. Question without notice to you, Sam. Would like to know what Sam thinks will happen in the BBL if players like Dave Warner don't play here and would this eventually affect test cricket? Well, it could potentially. I mean, they always say follow the money, don't they? I mean, that's the reality and it's never been more real in the commercial world of sport and whether people find it crass or not, money talks. I mean, you only have to go and have a look at the war going on in the world of golf um, to, to figure yep. out that uh, money packs a mean punch. 
Uh, so it will be really interesting to see how everything plays out, you know, when it comes to cricket. I mean, the latest media rights deal for the IPL means that they are cashed up more than they have ever been cashed up before. Uh, and uh, their salary caps dwarf anything else, or their total player payments will dwarf anything else uh, that any country can offer anywhere in the world. Now, what the flow-on impact of that is won't be known for some time, but you would be naive to just say, oh, no, that won't impact Test cricket, or, oh, no, people will always put their loyalty towards their nation first. Maybe they will, but down the track, uh, maybe they won't. Uh, And, of course, we know that they now have a link to uh, the South African 2020 competition too. That is the IPL owners. Uh, And so what does that mean? A competition that will be played over what is also our summer. Um, And what will the rules be around IPL players potentially being able to play in South Africa or not? And if they are, will that become the premium 2020 product of of what is our summer? Uh, And yeah, what is the flow on then uh, if all of these 2020 competitions continue to grow on test cricket, it's scheduling and players' loyalties? I think that it's something that would keep administrators at Cricket Australia and other cricketing bodies around the world um, cause for for deep thought uh, because they need to to recognise what's going on and plan for it. And I'm sure they are. But again, I'll go back to what we said off the top. Money talks and it's never had a louder voice than in the commercial world of sport today. Just going back to the Commonwealth Games, one more on that. I mean, the Olympics rated very well, I reckon, in Australia primarily because, A, the Australians had more success than we've had in a while, and, B, because the time zone closely aligned, didn't it? I mean, we saw gold medals being won live at 11.30 in the morning and people going on their lunch breaks watching it, whereas here, because of the UK time zone being out of kilter, a lot of the action's going to be overnight. So do you think that affects things adversely as well? Oh, absolutely it does. It's just a reality. We love watching things live. Actually, it was really interesting at the Olympics uh, in Japan that the swimming, for example, which is one of the marquee events, that the finals were actually in the morning and the heats at night over in Japan, like in Japan real time, to maximise television audiences for the rest of the world uh, because it's one of the marquee events. So, yeah, that will definitely have an impact. It's, It's like the World Cup the World Cup of football, soccer. Um, part of the re- It generates huge interest here, but part of the reason why the rights never go too high is because most of the games and all of the big ones are generally played in the dead of the night here, particularly um, when, obviously, the events are in the Northern Hemisphere. So that'll definitely have an impact. There's no doubt about that. And as such, it will be interesting to see how Seven package things up to try and um, you know capture the audience for the big games the big events and, and the big moments for Australians. But, you know, I, I, there's still something very unique about watching people in these mega events. You can be watching something like I was watching Jess Fox, you know, come down um, for one of the biggest moments of her life and me being anything but an expert in that sport, being on the edge of my seat because you recognise what a huge... Um, momentous moment it is for the athletes and what these athletes are doing is dedicating their entire life to reaching their full potential 
Uh, and that's a motto that most of us carry in life. We want to go and see how good we can be. And so many of us don't get the opportunity because life takes us in all sorts of directions. We've got responsibilities and hey, we're not that good at a lot of sports. But that's why we're drawn to them because they've been able to dedicate their whole life to achieving something. And when that something comes, it's bloody good TV. That's right, and that helped that that particular gold medal you referenced happened around dinner time when a lot of people do tune into the TV, Sam, after a long day at work. We're speaking with Sam Duncan on the line, the course leader of the sports media and sports business degrees at Holmesglade Institute. Just a couple more before I let you go. At the moment in the NRL, just a live score update, the Sydney Roosters pummeling Manly 12 to nothing after 21 minutes. There was, of course, the boycott that everyone's been talking about, seven players from Manly boycotting due to the whole jumper issue. It's been an issue that's transcended the sport and extended beyond just the sporting sphere, hasn't it? What have you made of the coverage of it in recent days? Well, it's been really interesting, isn't it? It just goes to show that the execution of an idea is as important as the idea itself. Um, And sometimes ideas have unintended consequences that can hijack, obviously, the purpose of the whole initiative in the first place. Um, this was always going to be a huge story because if we strip everything back and look at this like we would in a classroom or a lecture theatre, we would say, what's one of the biggest news values that ensures a story keeps ticking along and it's conflict? And this has caused conflict. And the irony is that it was supposed to be a show of, of support for everyone to unite Um, everyone and it's had the opposite effect Um, and now those that you know walk around saying that they wish that sport was separate to politics and wish that sport was you know uh, a place we could escape to away from heated discussions about social issues um, are now confronted with a, a running soap opera and the other thing is this has impacted the actual game. There are seven players not playing and clearly um, the score would reflect that. So I don't know, you know, um, I think if the execution of the idea was better, Damien, we wouldn't be in this situation. And I do think um, we would still be able to have um, the jumper being worn and seven players who were not playing uh, would be playing. But that's not the case. That's it. And just before I let you go, Sam, I want to discuss the value of Alistair Clarkson from a marketing perspective. It's funny, you build up a marketable product yourself as an individual with the record that you have, and he's been one of those examples as a coach. If he was to go to North Melbourne or GWS, that's been an interesting conversation this week. What have you made of that? Well, I think he's really interesting because of what he brings in terms of his marketability his image. Uh, and what he's got is capital. I always talk about this, you you know, um, it basically is what you stand on. And, and it means if you err or things don't go your way or you have a bad season, you can still stand on your capital. People might chip away at it, but if you've got it there, then you've got time uh, because you've already built up your reputation. And he's got that. Uh, and so if he went into either of those clubs, I don't think... No one would expect him to have immediate success anyway, but you don't necessarily need it because of the capital he's got. It buys you time. 
so I think that it's really interesting. But in saying that, you spend a lifetime creating an image and building a reputation. And so decisions you make are really important in that. And that includes which club you're going to go to. Uh, and that includes when you're going to go to them. Uh, so, yeah, it's really interesting. Some clubs are in such a position where they've already got their own capital and they don't need to rely on a coach coming in with theirs. And therefore, they could go and get an untried coach who's got no capital. And then you've got other clubs who are low on capital or are completely depleted of it or are actually in the negative, uh, in the red. And so they probably need a coach to come in that, that uh, you know, can restore some of that. And, and as such, I think he'd be a very good fit for North Melbourne. Well, Sam, really appreciate your time. Always enjoy these conversations. All the best with the week going forward and the weekend itself. Take care. Good on you, Damien. Have a great week and weekend. Sam Duncan joining us from Hobes Glen. Mid-year intake apply now at Hobes Glen. We'll take a break. More of your calls after this. one 736 736 to call in. You can text it as well on the temper text machine. 0433-981116. And Matt Bungard's not far away as well with an NRL update. Sydney Roosters absolutely pummeling Manly earlier on. 25 minutes in. And it's currently 12 to nothing in the Roosters' favour. Back with more on the other side. Big welcome back. Hope you're enjoying the sporting capital. one 736 736 on this Thursday night to call in. You can text it as well via 0433-981116 off the temper text. Well, there's been a lot of commentary off the field more than anything else surrounding Manly and the boycott of seven players in regards to the whole jumper situation that transpired over the last few days. Well, they're now out on the park against the Sydney Roosters. 36 minutes in. As we approach half-time, the Roosters lead 18-6. Joining us is the host of the NRL Boom Rookies podcast. He's part of the wide world of sports team as well, Matt Bungard. Matt, thanks for joining us. How are Manly going at this point? Um, yeah, look, the replacements are going about as well as you'd expect. They got pretty unlucky just there. They um, they got it back to a one-try game and then uh, messed up the, the ensuing kickoff and the Roosters scored from it to make it 18-6. So back to a two-score game. Manly with the ball was a couple of minutes left in the half. But, yeah, they've, I mean, they, they, the Roosters have clearly been the better side so far. But, um, yeah, Manly have, Manly have hung in there pretty gamely so far. So if not for that unlucky bounce of ball for kickoff, we'd be going into halftime with a pretty close game. And, you know, two tries are still only two tries at the end of the day. So you never know. But they're doing about as well as you should expect given the week they've had. Well, give us an insight as to how crucial this game is because everyone's mm-hmm. been talking about the external noise, and I'll get to that in a moment. But it's eighth versus ninth, and we're coming towards yeah. the business end of the season. <laughs> Well, that's that's part of why this whole thing was so like ridiculous to a lot of people, and that's because there's four teams currently tied for eighth place on competition points. There's, these are two of them: the Raiders and the Dragons are the other two. And yeah, I mean, it goes without saying. I mean, if you've got two teams playing that are on on the centre of points, and there's only one final spot, only one of them is going to get in. So every game between each of these teams in this little cluster is massive. And so yeah, for it to happen this week is just. Is, of all weeks, it's just like madness. But yeah, it's a gigantic game for the season. And, and I guess credit to the club for sticking with the jersey because, you know, they could have easily backed down mm. and acquiesced to player demand. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, we hear this all the time when clubs sign a player because who's got, you know, questionable off-field behaviour issues or whatever else that we hear that winning comes first. And in this case, winning hasn't come first for Manly, and I've got to applaud the, the club's stance for that because it would have been very easy for them to backflip and name a full-strength team for this game and such an important game. And Now, as a result of this, they might end up missing the finals completely. So, yeah. yeah it's an interesting, salient point that you make. Have you th- 
when you think back, do you think of anything more bizarre in terms of a build-up to a game? I suppose it's transcended. No. The sports become a societal type of discussion. Has mm. there been anything like it when you think back at NRL history or rugby league history? No. I mean, you could go back... I mean, none of us were alive, but you could go back to 1909 where South and Balmain both agreed that they were going to boycott the grand final and then South showed up yeah. <laughs> and kicked off and won the grand final, which I guess if it happened in the modern era would would probably be a bit more prominent. But yeah, as, as long as I can remember, this is one of, if not the most bizarre weeks. And, you know, it, it's quite funny because we had possibly the worst refereeing era in, his, in, in my history of watching the sport on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, we also had a guy who lost part of his ear we also had a guy who got fired for vaping at halftime during his team's game. <laughs> and yet, all of those things were basically not spoken about this week because of how big this story is. And it went international. There was coverage of it in England and America. And, and yeah, but I, I, I think that um, I think that whilst um, the, the initial situation has been pretty disappointing, I, I do hope, and I do think, actually, that a lot of good is going to come from this in the long run. I mean, Bailey Shervins, when he front, he was the manly captain for your listeners who aren't aware, um, fronted media the other day, yes, uh, Wednesday or Tuesday, I'm not sure, but he, um, and basically said that, look, we've never talked about stuff like this in the locker room. And, and as a result of this, I'd imagine that those conversations would now be taking place in every locker room. I, I, I know for a fact that, um, I know for a fact that there are, there are people uh, in the gay community, the trans community, uh, across that whole spectrum that um, are sort of, tried to come forward and make their voices heard this week as a result of this. And I, I, not, not, not that I usually come in here and play my own show when I come on here, but we had a we had a listener of our show actually come out publicly. I would encourage the listeners to seek about the first half an hour of our podcast on Tuesday where a, a fan, a rugby league fan, a diehard Roosters fan, actually publicly came out uh, to the world, really, on our show on Tuesday and talked about how important this was for him as a fan and how important he found these discussions to have, uh, to, to sort of have as we sort of go forward. And, and then you hear from the Roosters coach, Trent Robertson, yesterday. You heard from a bunch of other former players, current players who were asked about it, all sort of being welcoming and being accommodating. Um, and, and I think the sort of pride stuff is only going to get more more sort of ingrained in the sport in the future. So, yeah, whilst I think the initial situation was a bit sad and a bit disappointing, I think in the long run we might actually be better for it. Well, the halftime whistle has blared and the Roosters lead 18-6 to over Manly. Just in relation to Des Hasler's comments in the lead-up, he was mm. saying that certain players weren't consulted and the whole situation was handled badly. I mean, away from everything that it represents and the debate that's been caused, yeah. what have you made of that particular well, point? I, I don't really... I mean, I, I can't imagine that most logistical decisions are made, are made with the consultation of, of players. I mean, presumably... Presumably, players aren't consulted when a team agrees to take a game to another location for a round. Like, presumably, players aren't consulted about price points in the stadium. Presumably, players aren't consulted about a wide range of things that don't concern them because that's not their job. They're football players. They're not marketing people. They're not social justice uh, campaigners. Um, so I, I didn't really... That didn't really land with me just for the aspect of the fact that I can't imagine that they've ever been consulted about things like this. They're probably not consulted in any other week where a special jersey is worn either. So I found that a bit strange. But um, I suppose given the history that rugby, both rugby coats have with, with, I mean, the Israel Folau thing, and there were a lot of players 
in rugby league that publicly defended Israel for So I guess there was, you know, signs that this was going to happen and that this was a situation that could potentially have arisen. Um, but they didn't really think of that. And whilst I, that might have been a mistake, um, yeah, I, I'm not really sure that... Uh, and this was the point I made on Tuesday, was that, like, I mean, you, you, you've got jerseys that are plastered with, you know, gambling companies, alcohol companies, a wide range of, of, of companies that have, have moral or ethical sort of question marks around them. But you draw the line at a bit of rainbow around your collar. I just found it very curious. I mean, one of the one of the Manly Seven who's boycotted the game because of, he had to wear a jersey with a rainbow on it was uh, at court today in Sydney yeah. to, uh, to support his teammate who stabbed, who allegedly stabbed someone. So, I mean, I just find the moral inconsistency a bit frustrating because there's lots of things that are prohibited by the Bible that we kind of ignore. And it just seems like, I, don't, I can't speak for these people, but it seems like more wide-ranging that a lot of the time where people use their religion as a crutch to deride homosexuals, they're just sort of using that as an excuse to be homophobic. And it doesn't really land with me, to be honest. Off the SMS is a counterpoint, anonymous here, saying, as a gay man, I support Manly's rights to say no, or the players' rights to say no. Here we are again with mm. politics doing what it was designed to do, divide and destroy. What's next? Uh, just yeah. in relation to the game itself, uh, Matty, the Roosters, do yeah. you think ultimately they're going to go on with the victory given the boycott and everything else? Yeah. Uh, with uh, fitness I, as I would well? be pretty I would be pretty shocked if, if, if Manly came back and won this game. I do just want to say, though, I just and Peter Berlandi's the ARL boss, said this as well on Tuesday, and I don't always agree with what he said, but I did agree with this when he said it. I find the buzzword politics or political in this context to just be incorrect. I don't believe that, um, I don't believe that human rights are political uh, in the same way that if they wore a jersey that was said, you know, you've got soccer teams in England that wear anti-racism badges on their jerseys. I don't believe that's political either. I don't believe it's political to be against domestic violence or against sexism. So... Hmm. Basically, coming out and just saying we want gay people to be accepted in our sport and we're, we're here for them, I, I don't see how that is a political issue in any sense. Um, you know, that there are, there are people across that spectrum on, on all sides of politics and I don't really... I've never really understood this, this idea that, you know, taking a knee for racism or wearing a pride jumper or a rainbow, like any of that stuff is inherently political. I just don't agree with that assertion at all. And whilst others do... I just don't, and I guess that's just that's the beauty of opinions, I suppose, David. <laughs> it's it's a beauty of debate, I guess, and I guess it's trying to separate maybe what is political and what political. is social. Uh, I guess they're two different yeah. things, as you mentioned. Exactly. Uh, just want to touch on the Melbourne Storm because obviously we're going to mm. primarily Melbourne market tonight with of this course. program. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're taking on the New Zealand Warriors. Ultimately, probably a lot more incentive for the Storm because the Warriors have only had the five wins for the season and the two far mm. back. How do you think the Storm will go in the run home? Well, if they don't win this one, they are in big, big trouble. They've lost four in a row, as I'm sure Storm fans yeah. are well aware. They don't need telling them. I mean, they almost never lose to the Rabbitohs, who they lost to last week. That's only the seventh time ever that the Rabbitohs have beaten Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and only this, I think it's only the third time in the last 15 years that they've beaten them. So, yeah, that was crazy. Um, and then, yeah, the, the Warriors, they put 70 on them on Anzac Day earlier this year. So, they'll, obviously, they'll still go into that game favourite, even without you know, a ton of their players who they're missing because of injuries, suspensions and other things. But, yeah, if they don't win this, they've actually got a pretty tough run home. I wrote a thing for Wild Water Sports uh, last week, just sort of looking at the run home for each team. And they've got some really tricky games coming up. Yeah. Um, and it, they've got to arrest this slide very soon. I mean, they'll probably still make the finals, but, you know, 
Right now, there are only two wins above. Um, only two wins, I believe, above the Roosters in eighth, and you know the Raiders and the Dragons both play this weekend. Well, and if one of them, yeah, and if they one of them wins, they're also only a game behind. Obviously, Melbourne have a better for and against, but there's still six weeks to go, and they've probably got to win at least, I think, two, maybe three of those games to make sure they make the finals. So it'll be really interesting to see if they can do that. Um, they've obviously got a ton of great players still on their team, but. I don't know, yeah, they've just lost so many guys, and especially their back line is just held together by bits of string at this point. They've actually loaned David Nofaluma, who couldn't get in, who currently is not in the first-grade team at the West Tigers, who are coming last. So that shows you how dire things have gotten. Well, Matty, really appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of the clash between Manly and the Roosters. All the best, mate. Thanks for coming on. Anytime, mate. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. Matt Bungard from the NRL Boom Rookies podcast and part of the wide world of sports team at Channel 9 as well. We'll take a break. Back with more on the other side. You're listening into the Sporting Capital on this Thursday night. Welcome back. Hope you're enjoying the Sporting Capital. If you want to text in, 0433981116. Well, we're heading towards the business end of the VFL season, round 19 this weekend. And not all of the discussion has been around Damien Hardwick's behaviour last weekend in VFL circles. There's been a lot of action happening on the field as well that is looking very intriguing. And joining us to preview some of the matches this weekend is Channel 7 VFL commentator Nigel Carbody. Welcome to you, Nigel. Hey, Damien. Good to be with you. Thanks very much for joining us and giving up some of your time. I'll tell you what, I know your name is in the honour board out there at Casey Fields. Well, there's a lot of players putting their name up in lights this season because the Casey Demons currently undefeated. They head towards the run home in prime position to take home top position in the minor premiership at the VFL because they got the Northern Bull Ants this weekend to a bottom of the table. Can Casey go right through undefeated, do you think, and maybe pretty much match what's... Port Melbourne were able to achieve over a decade ago under the helmet with uh, Gary Ayres taking charge at that time? Well, that's the precedent, isn't it? There is an example of a club who's been able to do it. A lot of talk even amongst AFL circles at the moment of whether a team like a Geelong wants a loss going into a final series, but the counter-argument is always that you don't flirt with your form. They've put together a fantastic season that's been in the face of obviously a few injuries and, and a bit of constant change, but I think they've managed to form the truest alignment there is, I suppose, in terms of they've got fantastic VFL-listed players. They get incredible surface out of Munro and, and some of the, even the younger players like George Gray and that that have come through yep. their program in their last couple of years. And I don't think you ever see any wavering of effort from the, the Melbourne-listed players who are there. And they've clearly got a lot to play for with potentially AFL finals call-ups ahead of them. So, look, they're, they're well-placed as anyone to run the table. But I think for anyone who's been involved with... Casey since the move out to Cranbourne in 2006 and more recently under the Melbourne alignment. They've made grand finals in 2016 and 18 and left with nothing to show for it apart from yeah. reflection of making a grand final. But it's time for the football club to hopefully get some silverware and they're as well placed as ever. Yeah, absolutely right. Kate Chandler was fantastic again on the weekend. He's been ultra consistent. He kicked four goals in the wet in what was a low-scoring game against Footscray at the Witten Oval last week. And be interesting to see how he finishes off the home and away season. couple of matches which have finals ramifications, and hopefully we come into that final round with plenty of permutations on the ladder, Dige. One of the matches this weekend which has ramifications is Collingwood versus Southport. First of all, great to have footy back at Victoria Park. There was a round one game, which I think you were at, 
when Collingwood played Box Hill at that venue. Since then, Collingwood have played their home games at the AIA Centre. Crucial game for the Pies to try and solidify a top eight spot. Southport have been probably the main danger to Casey on the table. They'll probably finish in second spot the way things are going. But the Pies could snag an upset at their spiritual home. Yeah, not beyond the realms. I think it's great scheduling anytime we're seeing footy at Vic Park and with Collingwood playing Port Adelaide in the AFL on Saturday if you're a Pies fan. But I think anyone heading to the G, nothing better than getting to the the 10.30 start at Vic Park, seeing a really high standard game of AFL footy and then pretty easy train trip from Vic Park to yeah. Jollymont to get off there and then walk into the MCG and, and see two really good games of footy for the price of one. There's probably something a bit buried for people who aren't watching the VFL all that closely, Damien. You, you look at the ladder at the moment, and if you're just looking at um, the points tally and the percentages, the one thing that perhaps is a little bit lost is because of the litany of buys, I think every team's going to have four buys across yeah. the season. We've got a few clubs that have still got four home and away games remaining, but most of them have three, and there's three teams in the eight at the moment that have a full suite of four games remaining. Brisbane third... Sydney fifth, and then significantly Collingwood in seventh. So they have Southport this week. They then host the Seagulls and then, you know, final shaping matchups in the last couple of rounds for them with Sydney and Carlton. So Collingwood sit on nine wins at the moment. Again, not beyond the realms given there's only a gap between uh, Brisbane, who played 14 games on 40 points at the moment, and the Suns in ninth position, who played 15 games on 36 points. He got... One game, but a, a little bit of variance in how many games are left for clubs between third and ninth. Collingwood have still clearly got designs on finishing top four in both the AFL and the VFL. And a win over the, the Sharks this weekend would help propel them in that direction. Yeah, no doubt about that. And maybe they can pay homage to the passing of Billy Pickin, who did some great work at VFL level back in the day now, of course, AFL level, on that particular ground at Victoria Park. And great to see the Pies out there at Vic Park, their spiritual home. The other game with plenty of ramifications is Richmond v Brisbane. There's been a lot of talk and build-up about the AFL sides going at it this weekend, but equally as important did the VFL as well, because Richmond are fighting for a final spot. And Brisbane, they've been absolutely tremendous this season, particularly under the tutelage when you look at on-field leaders of Reese Matheson, who's been absolutely consistent, he's known as the barometer amongst the Brisbane supporters, just having a look at back at their season holistically so far, and they've got a number of other consistent contributors as well. That's going to be a ripping contest at the Swinburne Centre, I think. Do you have a prediction there? Uh, probably siding with Richmond, but again, the, the fans have benefited by the fact that we've got the Richmond-Brisbane game at the MCG at 3.20 on Sunday. So again, Makes a lot of sense if you're a, a Tigers or a Brisbane fan, or as I mentioned with reference to the Collingwood Southport match before, if you're a, a footy fan planning on heading to the G this weekend, you've got an 11:05 kickoff on Sunday at the Swinburne Centre to see what I think is going to be a really high standard game. Tigers uh, won their last couple, so they've started to strike a little bit of form. Brisbane dropping that game last weekend as well. As we mentioned, the door has swung open for some clubs perhaps to make a run from the bottom part of the eight into the the top four as well, and. Uh, Richmond are in that group of teams that have only got three games remaining. So this is the hardest of their remaining matches. They'll play the Bull Ants and then host Frankston in the final round. Two of the three probably gives them a finals berth. Win all three, then, as I said, it's possible they could be top four depending on how things shake out with the other games remaining. 
That's right. And, I mean, you look at Richmond and the way that they've carried through some of those VFL contributors and given them a chance at AFL level. You look at Noah Cumberland, Tyler Sonzi, Judson Clark. They've all made contributions at VFL level, and that just highlights, Nigel, the importance of playing well at that level to give yourself a big chance and getting rewarded at senior level. And I think Richmond have exemplified that, haven't they, this season? Yeah, I think they've done a tremendous job managing their players, not just this season, but the history of their, not alignment, sorry, but since their VFL programs come back in-house, that we've seen players developed at the right speed at VFL level to then come in and have a permanent impact at AFL level. And it goes back to, I think, the 2017 VFL Grand Final side had the likes of Jaden Short as a permanent fixture in it rather than being an AFL player. And we know the career he's obviously gone on to have since then as well. So Samson Ryan, really good for them in the yeah. win over Williamstown last week. Uh, and Morris Riley, I think anytime we're seeing players, <laughs> pardon me, backing up from being the medical sub, whether they see match time or not, and then playing well in the VFL the following day, I think it's a real nod to a player's professionalism. Morris Riley saw a little bit of game time late in the match against Freo last Friday night and then came out and had... 17 and, and kick two on um, on Swinburne Centre against Williamstown as well. So, yeah, they've got a little bit of depth there at the moment. The Tigers are, I think, good given they've clearly had a bit of a bumpy period in the AFL where they've been in games without necessarily closing them out. But there's enough guys that are pressing their case for, for recalls as well. Speaking with Channel 7 VFL commentator Nigel Carmody, just a couple more before I let you go, Nigel. Werribee hosts Footscray, an interesting game with plenty of ramifications for the Tigers at Avalon Airport Oval. I'm intrigued to see how they go because they've really lifted in the second half of the season. Had a slow start at the beginning of the year, but they really have lifted and they've been one of the standalone teams from a Victorian point of view to watch. So they, they hit a really, really good run of form and then... That loss to Box Hill yeah. just set them back ever so slightly and, and robbed them of a little bit of that momentum. I mean, you feel like, again, it's a little bit the nature of the structure of the final system. The fact that we've got an eight and 21 teams means at the moment we've got four teams that are sitting outside the eight with a positive win-loss record, which wherever you're included in that group as well. They are in that cohort of teams. We mentioned the three teams in the eight that have got four games remaining. Werribee are the one challenger outside the eight at the moment that have still got four matches left on their roster. So Hmm. Bulldogs, their former alignment partner this weekend at home, trips to Brisbane, an away game to Essendon, and then a final round match against the Bulland. So Michael Barlow's team are pretty well poised. They've got a very healthy percentage, just shy of 120, that right now is better than um, sixth, seventh, and eighth on the ladder as well. If they can win the lion's share of those games, you'd imagine they're going to be playing finals. It's a loss from a fortnight ago they'd be ruined because the Box Hill Hawks kicked, I think, the final four goals of that match to get yeah. over the top of them. The contrast is Bulldogs, the loss to Casey last week rules them out of, of finals contention. Yes, there's some players who are playing for spots in the AFL side at the moment, but I, I think uh, Werribee would be very confident they can chalk up win number nine for the season and um, potentially find themselves, if not back in the eight, right on the doorstep of it, uh, exiting round 19. Just two more before I let you go, Nigel. Look, I think ultimately Carlton should beat Williamstown. We've seen upsets before, but the Blues with a lot more to play for incentive-wise. And the Essendon v North Melbourne game, both sides can't make the finals, obviously. The Sydney v GWS one is intriguing at the SCG. There is that little bit of hidden underpinning rivalry between the two clubs. Uh, ultimately, they call it the Battle of the Bridge at AFL level, but there's a lot of ramifications to come out of that game, and you get the sense maybe the final eight would be shaped 
based on that result. Yeah, huge game. So the Giants have slid in the last fortnight. So they were in the four two weeks ago. A couple of losses now sees them uh, 8-6 in a draw and 10th on the ladder. They've only won four of their last 10. So it has been a bit of a slide for them in the second half of the season. The Swans, on the flip side of that, they've won seven of their last 10, sitting in fifth and in that group of five teams at the moment that are on nine wins, which they sit the highest with a percentage of 125.5. Josh Kennedy was massive for them in their victory last weekend where they, I think they were pretty much in command from go to war in that victory over Frankston last Saturday afternoon at Tramway Oval. They're really well poised. And I think this is probably something we can start to cast our mind forward to, to the final series. It's going to have a bit of a different look to it. First time since the VFL has, I guess, brought in the Northern States teams and the teams that have previously competed at the NEPA. You've got Southport, the Lions, the Swans, and then potentially the Suns and or Giants in contention as well. We're probably going to see, you'd imagine, at least a qualifying final for Southport played interstate unless something crazy was to happen to their form and the ladder in the next couple of weeks. And who knows, potentially another final at some stages, perhaps interstate through the final series as well, which adds, I think, a really interesting dimension to it. Not only that we won't necessarily have all four games in Victoria on week one of the final series as we've become accustomed to, but the added factor now of teams having to travel during the finals, which previously hasn't been something that clubs have had to factor into their September preparations, will be, I think, Something else that adds a layer of interest. That's right. And Southport do have a very strong following at home. And you see some of their home games, and they do get pretty good crowds. So it'll be interesting to see whether the local community up there in Queensland embrace it. And just a last one to finish off with, Nige. Geelong play Coburg. It's been a relocated game from GMHBA Stadium to Mars Stadium in Ballarat. I know Geelong probably are the better side on paper. They have that AFL alliance, as we know. But I wouldn't rule out maybe a Coburg upset. Coburg have been known to cause the odd upset. They did so a few weeks ago against the Gold Coast when I think the Suns had about 18 AFL-listed players playing in that lineup. And they have some pretty exciting players, too. I've enjoyed watching the likes of Boucher, Dintino Sante, Ryan Exon as well, who's been a phenomenal spiritual leader at that club. Do you think they could cause an upset the Lions? Yeah, they definitely can. I mean, you come back through their form, they were competitive in that loss to Sandringham at, at home a couple of weeks ago prior to their bye. They pushed Carlton in round 14. Our broadcast game at Piranha Park in round 13 against Richmond, they were... They were really competitive, and I don't think the final scoreboard, not dissimilar to the Bull Ants' performance against Box Hill in our broadcast match last Sunday. There's some of these games where the lower-rung standalone teams have ultimately dropped games by somewhere in the vicinity of you know six to eight goals, but it's only really blown out in the latter stage of the game. And Andrew Sturgis, I think, has done a tremendous job with that group this year. And, yeah, you reel off some of the names that at plates and good footy, they've... Them and the Bull Ants are just start. Like it's a bit of a journey for them that it might take two or three years, but I think we're going to see them hopefully be finals teams in time if they can maintain the core of what they've got. And I think the other thing they're doing really well at the moment is forming really strong alignments with clubs, whether it's in the Northern Footy League, which is more so for the Bull Ants than Coburg, and then Coburg delving into that territory, but also have got a pretty strong complement of players in the Essendon District Football League. Um, they can continue to have players bouncing back and forth and maybe guys who have been missed by the pathway decide at 21 or 22 they want to have a crack at the highest level, a la what a Luke Ryan did with Coburg a few years ago, that they can pick up some, some talent through that 
direction. I think these clubs will be strong in time. Coburg's three and eleven on the season, but a percentage of sixty-eight. I think is perhaps the pointer to how competitive they've been. Well, Nigel, really appreciate your time. Best of luck for the rest of the home and away season as well with the coverage via Channel 7's VFL telecast. All the best. Thanks, Damien. Just a quick note on that. A break for us for the next couple of weeks. Nothing this weekend with the Com games. And then the next broadcast game will actually be Saturday week. So not a Sunday game, a Saturday game. And that'll yes. be Frankston and the Box Hill Hawks down at Skybus Stadium. Welcome back to the Sporting Capital. Damien Watson with you. If you want to text in 0433981116. Well, the Commonwealth Games are on the horizon. A great buzz around Birmingham at the moment with the opening ceremony to be held tomorrow morning, Australian time. And it's great to see women's cricket involved as a sport. It's the first time cricket has been included as a sport in the Commonwealth Games since 1998 when the men were involved in Kuala Lumpur. Joining me on the line, one of the stars of the Aussie women's cricket team, an all-conquering side, as we know, fast bowler Megan Shute. How are you, Megan? Thanks for joining us. <laughs> I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's a, a perfect English day here, so, yeah, the sun is yet to come out. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a typical English summer day, although they've had a bit of a heat wave in recent times, and I know your team has come from Ireland, where you've had a bit of a tri-series with the Irish and Pakistan side, although that's been affected by weather as well. What is the situation temperature-wise going forward? Are you expecting the forecast to be good? <laughs> I, I, I certainly hope so. I mean, we've, again, we haven't really seen the sun since we've been here, which is a lot like Ireland. I reckon in the few weeks that we've been away, the sun's probably came out twice. But um, yeah, we're, we're hoping for low teens, uh, sorry, low 20s and high teens is is the forecast at the minute. But honestly, it kind of always looks like it's going to rain. So I've been wrong a few times before. <laughs> and one of the strange things, I've been watching Amanda J. Wellington's vodcast that she does, Secret Life of Wello, which you featured prominently in, as a matter of fact, your South Australian teammate. <laughs> and uh, one of the things she highlighted was the fact that at 9 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night, I don't know if it's going to be the case at Birmingham, but it's still really light outside, isn't it? Yeah, so like they have the best blockout curtains in the world because you have to close them before you go into bed. Otherwise, you just get confused as to what time of day it was. And to be honest, most of the time, 8 or 9 p.m. is the best part of the day and the, the sun actually comes out. <laughs> I know, it's strange, isn't it? Let's get stuck into the cricket. Now, as a South Australian growing up in Hackham West, did you ever ever think in your wildest dreams <laughs> that you'd be representing your country on the national stage in a Commonwealth Games? Oh, no, nah, no chance in the world. Um, <laughs> I guess you don't you don't think a lot of things when you're a kid, and then I guess growing up down there, there's some things that don't feel within your reach, I guess. But um, to be here now is is honestly just an incredible honour, and something that I never thought would happen in in my time. So getting a chance to play it towards the back end of my career is is really something special. No, oh, no doubt about that. And you've been involved in World Cups. Is there something different about this event? Does it feel more communal because you're with athletes from other sports? And I understand you met a few of the athletes from other sports the other day. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the village life is just something entirely different. And I guess the best part of it is, you know, it's it's so much bigger than us. Normally, it's just a cricket tournament and everything is focused on cricket. And, and Cricket Australia is obviously the central part of it. And this is totally different to that. And I think that's what actually makes it so special. And going down to the, the main village um, and just being a part of all the other countries that are here, it's, it's absolutely incredible. It's actually a buzz that you can't really describe unless you're here. So it's yeah, it's a really cool experience and just super lucky to be here. Oh, no doubt about that. We're speaking with Australian fast bowler Megan Shute. Just talking about the actual event itself, there's been a lot of buzz as to whether Australia can be beaten. How do you as a side, and you've been through pressurised situations before, 
given your dominance in recent times, how do you emphasise upon drawing out complacency and making sure that it never, ever creeps in? Because your team does such a good job, as we've seen in recent years. Yeah, I think that's one thing we've actually focused on in the last five years or so. I think, you know, our loss at the 2017 World Cup semi was a big kick in the butt for us at at making sure that we don't, you know, stay complacent. Um, And that's kind of one of our values, I guess. And one of them at the moment is evolve. And we know that, you know, for us to keep doing that, we have to keep pushing ourselves individually. So I like to think that we're a pretty self-driven bunch that just require a minimum of coaching. And um, (laughs) so Shell does a good job at guiding us which way to go. But you're all pretty, pretty competitive. And I guess coming into a tournament like this, um, knowing we're favorites at the end of the day, though, it's, it's T20 cricket and any team can win on the day. And we're pretty, aware of that so that's why we got to come in and bring our best each game you referenced your new coach Shelly Nitschke tell us about what she brings because she's an experienced campaigner in the coaching ranks and she's made the step up to international level now what does she bring that's different uh, obviously you had Matthew Mott in charge and at the helm for a while is there a different dynamic is it different values I mean it's interesting isn't it the changing of the guard as to whether you stabilize that balance between what was initiated in the past and worked so well and what comes in as a new dimension yeah it's it's actually really cool I, I guess for us I mean we had show as our assistant um yeah. before Modi left so it's not a huge transition as such but um she's an ex-player so she has a great awareness of the game she's a really laid-back character so just kind of a real calamity I guess and you know for us you can kind of still have a joke with her and to connect on a personal level with a coach, I think is really important for a team to feel comfortable and, and ready to go. So I think that's what Shell brings. She's just a hell of a character and obviously knows her cricket inside out. So those two mold well together. All right. And how's the preparation been? How are you feeling individually and also as a team coming in and and the training involved aside from that tri series? Yeah, better now. I think heading into Ireland, I've honestly felt a little underdone. I think we'd had a quicker preseason than what we'd, been used to and for us bowlers we hadn't long been off the full run so um but yeah with plenty of training under my belt not a whole lot of game time admittingly but plenty of yeah practice under my belt I, I definitely feel a lot better now and I think having practice in in those conditions in Ireland is going to hold us in good stead here in Birmingham and one of the great things too that was announced over the last couple of months they're going to extend the WNCL season you've actually got a chock-a-block schedule coming up because a number of players are going to the hundred obviously there's uh, tournament against India later on in the year that's initially been scheduled, the WBBL as well, extension of the WNCL that I mentioned. So how do you as a fast bowler manage your body in that situation? <laughs> I guess the one thing that holds me in good stead is I'm an old girl. So um, <laughs> I think, you know, I know my body <laughs> pretty well. I, I know when it's probably on a, on a crash course and I'm pretty honest at saying that to my coaches. So I'll... um. I'll kind of be honest and say if I need a break, but most of the time, I I mean, I don't hit the deck at the crease like Darcy and some of the other proper fast bowlers do. So (laughs) I like to think that, um, yeah, my my nice in-swingers have held my body in good stead. So, yeah, for me, it'll just be rolling along, um, taking breaks where I need it. But I guess sometimes the coaches do step in and, and, you know, cut out games here and there or cut out loads. And sometimes I admit that we probably need that as athletes. We think we can keep going forever, but... um, it's a hell of a schedule. I mean, you know, we're excited to be playing that much cricket, but we do know there are going to be some workload management things involved and that's just part of the game. 
Speaking with Aussie fast bowler Megan Shooter, head of the women's side's campaign at the Commonwealth Games, which is coming up very, very shortly. Have you had time to embrace the actual event? Obviously, you've got a job to do, but I've seen some of the videos of yourself and your South Aussie teammates like Darcy Brown, who you mentioned, Amanda J. Wellington, Talia McGrath, taking in the atmosphere and just actually embracing the event and the atmosphere around the village? Yeah, totally. I think we've actually spent quite a bit of time down at the other village. So it is, it is spread amongst a few different villages. And at the moment where we are is just in a hotel really with all the other cricketers and beach volleyballers. And it kind of feels similar to, I guess, the WBBL hub or, or a cricket world cup where you kind of amongst your opposition, but we do head down to the other village a lot because that's really where the action is and where there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. So that's kind of just cool to, I think even go down there in the first day we're down there and swapping pins with countries is, is something that we didn't know, you know, we're such rookies. We've, we've never been here before and we went down there and everyone's asking for an Australian pin, um, and you just, yeah, you swap that. And this is called the friendly games for a reason. Everyone is absolutely wonderful here and the volunteers are just so happy to be here. And yeah, it's a hell of an environment. I absolutely love it. Just a few more before I let you go, because I know you've got to go to training just in terms of the way you prepare in those conditions in Birmingham and, and generally in the UK, is there any discernible difference compared to back home? Um, yeah, I guess the weather is one of them. Um, Apart from that, I think we're pretty adaptable. I mean, that's another thing our team prides ourselves on. There's a few things we've had to roll with the punches here, lots of changes, and I think that's the biggest thing about being part of this tournament is we're not in control um, of really anything, you know, in terms of training schedules and, and venues and resources. So it's, you know, we even have limited coaches to what we're used to, so it's all about just rolling with the punches and getting on with it and realising that at the end of the day we're here to play cricket and we can just focus on that. Your opening game in the group stage will be against the Indians. You've had some tight tussles over the journey. Uh, obviously, there was a T20 World Cup final in the first game of that tournament back in early 2020 where they did get the better of you. What do you think is their main strength? Uh, I think one of the things is momentum. Um, obviously, they're, they're a firecracker country, and once they get on a roll, they're pretty good at staying on it. So, um, I mean, <laughs> they're probably our hardest opposition, and to have them first up is, is going to be a good challenge. But... Yeah, it's always a decent game at least. I mean, we've we've had some good tussles with them in the past and they've come out on top early in the tournament and then we've kind of been the lucky ones at the end of it. So, yeah, we're, we're expecting no different from them. They have some real firepower, some real strength, especially at their top order, but early wickets are absolutely crucial. All right, good stuff. And just a last one before I let you go, the opening ceremony, what are you looking forward to about it the most? Are you actually going along? Uh, no, so oh, we okay. have, as Commonwealth Games Australia has, has uh, said no to that. So there's, with an early morning game and the late night and some COVID potential, um, yeah, they've, <laughs> they've canned that unfortunately, but we will be getting together as, as an Australian group and, and doing that separately, which would be nice. Oh, good stuff. Well, I guess you have the opportunity to freshen up and make sure that you're at full tilt for your Commonwealth Games campaign. Shooter, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for chatting with us. Best of luck. Hopefully you can bring home the gold medal and you can bring it back to your family as well. <laughs> Thanks very much. Gold or not coming home. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're enjoying the program on this Thursday night on the eve of the Commonwealth Games opening ceremony. Damian Watson here filling in for Sam Hargraves tonight. If you want to text in, 
with any questions. 0433981116. Well, the world of lawn bowls, the Commonwealth Games is such a special event and the Jackaroos have been preparing in earnest for their campaign in Birmingham. Lindsay Clark will be competing in her fourth Commonwealth Games campaign 16 years after winning a gold medal in the pairs in the Melbourne 2006 Games. And she joins us on the line direct from the UK and, as I understand it, on the team bus. How are you, Lindsay? I'm very good, thanks, Damien. Yes, we're in uh, transit between uh, the bowls venue and the village, so apologies if the uh, service isn't great, but hopefully you can hear me okay. Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear, which is fantastic. How many people on the bus? Um, they're pretty, they keep it pretty tight at the minute, so there's only about 22, I think, so just mostly our Team Australia uh, bowlers and our coaches and uh, high-performance staff. Good stuff. How's the mood at the moment? It must be one of excitement. Yeah, look, it's really exciting, Damo. We've had a lot of, um, of buzz, I suppose, last night. It was our Aussie team welcome and the flag bearers announcement um, and the flag racing ceremony at the Big Village. So, yeah, it's really starting to feel real. We, uh, The bowls team, we've been here for just over two weeks, so we're really uh, ready to get going tomorrow. How does it feel representing Australia? What is technically your country of birth, given you were born in West Yorkshire? <laughs> That is very true. That's some good intel. Uh, yeah, it's really cool, actually. It's like my second home, second home, I guess. So, um, yeah, it's good. Some of my family uh, from the UK here are going to come out and support. Uh, unfortunately, with COVID and the regulations, I won't be able to touch them or get too close. Uh, but it'll be nice to have them in the crowd. And my sister's flying out from Australia as well, um, along with a lot of Aussie supporters that have followed us along the way. Well, you mentioned your family there. This is your first Commonwealth Games campaign as a mum. Does it feel any different? Is it harder to leave our shores on that basis as well? <laughs> 100%. It was um, quite a challenge. It was the hardest uh, departure I've ever had. But in saying that, we've been super busy here um, in the bowls, just preparing. And, yeah, we haven't really had too much time to think about it. But, yeah, our Jackaroos um, sort of like our second family. So we're all very well supported. There's a lot of parents um, in the program now. And for me, um, yeah, having two kids just is extra motivation uh, for them to be able to see me chasing my goals and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud and hopefully can be them proud. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I mentioned this is your fourth Games. Does the special significance of the event still have the same resonance with you, even after multiple campaigns? Yeah, it does. It definitely does. We've got 10 debutants um, amongst this crew as well, so definitely feeding off their energy. But, yeah, when um, they announced the team, we had a team announcement, and it was just as exciting now as it was the first time. It's such a tough process just to make the team, so... Any time you get to a Commonwealth Games is really special and, uh, yeah, just savour the moment probably even more. Um, obviously, I missed a, a Commonwealth Games in the Gold Coast, my hometown, which was pretty painful. So, yeah, just soaking up um, every bit of atmosphere I can and going to enjoy the moment and do our best. Oh, absolutely. Now, speaking of family before, it's been just over a year since your father passed away. How much of an inspirational impact did he have on you as a supporter of uh, your sporting yeah. endeavours? And does he still add to your mind, particularly when you're out there on the global stage? Yeah, look, he was um, the reason I started Bold. He was my biggest supporter, along with my mum, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I'll definitely carry him with me. I still feel him around me. Um, I, yeah, he was probably the loudest supporter in terms of uh, clapping and cheering and that for us as well. So, yeah, my sister gave me a, a little special memento to um, have him with me here. But, uh, yeah, he's not far from me at all. Oh, good stuff. We're speaking with Lindsay Clark, an integral part of the Jackaroos lineup, the Australian Lawn Bowls team in the Commonwealth Games. What's been on the itinerary, I guess, in terms of preparation for the team since you landed in Birmingham? 
Yeah, look, it's been um, a long journey. So we had two weeks um, outside of the village where we trained. We got on the Commonwealth Games Greens for a couple of days, which was really um, important for us just to re-acclimatise, I guess, and, and feel confident and comfortable again. Uh, then we yeah, played a few uh, matches against county teams at different venues around um, around uh, the Warwick area, which was really good. And, yeah, just getting back into our um, gameplay and the UK style of play, uh, coaches are amazing in terms of analysing our office position and, and the shots and style we have to play over here to enjoy success. So, yeah, it was just um, been tapering it quite well. So we've just finished our last set, session actually just now. And, uh, yeah, it's really starting to feel real that that's the final uh, piece of the puzzle in terms of preparation. And now it's all uh, just about putting that into action. Um, I think we've been probably the best prepared Australian team to hit the UK shores ever. So that's going to give us a lot of confidence and self-belief and um, a lot of belief from the staff that are behind us as well. That's good to hear. And let us know if you have to leave uh, at any stage. I know you're in the business of preparing, so uh, feel free to go if you have to. Uh, no, Re- you're right, yep. <laughs> Rebecca Van Ash and Natasha Van Eldick are probably two of the headline acts for the Jackaroos after their success on the Gold Coast four years ago. How are they feeling at the moment yeah. with that experience under their belt? <laughs> Look, they're two of the most coolest, calmest, collected uh, people that you could meet, calm and collected. Um, yeah, they're defending champions, and they're both good mates of mine, and, and just to experience with this with them um, is going to be pretty special. And, you know, they're pretty determined competitors, and, yeah, they don't really get them, let the moment get the better of them too much, which is cool. Um, but, yeah, they're doggedly determined and uh, really passionate when they pull on the green and gold and, um, yeah, really connected with, with our team as a whole. We've got Chrissy and Ellen who are debuting at their first games tomorrow. Mm. So we've got a really good mix of um, yeah, experience and that new excitement. Now you mentioned the debutants there. Who are some of the other Aussies to look out for, particularly amongst the debutants in the bowls and the para bowls teams as well? Yeah, look, um, we've got 10, so it's hard to, to name them all. But, yeah, the boys have got three new new guys as well, first games for them. So Benny Twist, uh, Carl Healy and Corey Wedlock. But they've got Aaron Wilson, obviously, defending champion from the Gold Coast in the singles. So having his aura around is pretty cool. Um, and Barry Lester, a very seasoned campaigner. Yes. And uh, he was part of my first games in 2006 as well. So, yeah, they've got a good balance. And, uh, yeah, our power crew, I think they're all fairly new, apart from Jake Selberg, um, who is defending champion in our vision impaired, uh, taking on the mixed pairs with Helen Portman. So... Yeah, good. we've got a good balance across all disciplines. It's funny, Lindsay, I was having a look on YouTube, as I often do when researching a number of guests. It came across your, I think it would have been one of the qualifying encounters potentially at the Commonwealth Games in 06, where you were taking on the Scottish team. And I love, uh, obviously, the encouragement and the camaraderie that you have with your teammates while the action is going on. That was, of course, on Australian turf. And you would have been, what, a youngster in your early 20s back in those days. What have you learned most over that period of time? I mean, it probably feels surreal that it's been 16 years since then. It probably feels like yesterday. What have you learned (laughs) experience-wise during that time and the lessons you've taken from the time that you've had in the sport? Yeah, so much. I guess I was sitting next to actually my 2006 best male partner, Karen Murphy, in the bus at the minute. Like, g'day, Kev. <laughs> g'day, guys. How you going? Good anyway, stuff. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty, uh, pretty uh, awesome moment uh, back in 2006. And she's uh, one of our coaches now, which is really special. But I think over the years, um, I guess, you know, we never, we never doubt any country can really bring it against us. We know we have to be on our game um, every single match we play. There's no underdogs in this sport. So... Um, yeah, really important to put the pressure on early. I think just, I guess, enjoying the moment. I think when you're in your first one, 
you're so like nervous and wanting to play well, but just really enjoying the experience um, and just, I guess, yeah, really believing that you can and being confident in, in our preparation. And because we've put the hard work in, we know we can do it. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that's, <laughs> that's what you're after, but I guess there's, yeah, there's so many different lessons and um, being able to do or represent your country is pretty special, but... Uh, being able to do this on on the global scale with multi sports, you know, we were mingling in with the swimmers and the athletics and mm. uh, hockey roos and all that, which was pretty cool yesterday. So yeah, and, and our families getting to enjoy that alongside us—that's probably uh, yeah the biggest rewards, I guess, uh, that they get to watch us uh, chase our dreams. Once the Commonwealth Games get underway, do you have much time to mingle with some of the athletes from other sports? Have you developed relationships over the years with people you never would have expected? Yeah, normally, uh, normal games you probably would, but this, um, yeah, that's where uh, Commonwealth Games Australia team are really um, onto us, just keeping in our COVID bubble and, and yeah. keeping quite, uh, quite tight uh, within our sport. So we've, we've, I think there's four or five different villages, so we're a little bit spread out, but yeah, definitely once um, competition starts, we'll just be focused on our own play um, and, you know, supporting the Aussies through the TVs and um, across the village when we see them and wishing them all the best. But yeah, we're pretty focused on ourselves uh, once tomorrow comes. In regards to the preparation, tell us about how you've been replicating the green conditions at Leamington Spa, which is where you'll be competing. Uh, in the lead-up, how have you done that and how does that actually help? Yeah, look, um, Mount Tambourine, they've been fantastic on the Gold Coast actually replicating a green in Australia, which is very hard to do com- uh, compared mm. to the English weather conditions. Um, but, yeah, just to replicate a surface that is something similar to what we've been playing on, um, for me, I just I live about 20 minutes from Mount Tambourine Club, so I've been uh, really putting the hard yards in. And, and Damien and their crew up at Mount Tambourine have done a fantastic job. Just you've got to make the green quite um, lush and heavy, quite soft underfoot. Um, but yeah, I think you know that's been a, a great um, little piece of, of training venue for us to have, so that when we've come here to the UK, it, it feels quite similar. So we're lucky in Australia with some of the best greens in the world. So to be able to have a surface um, that's a little bit slower and a little bit more UK-like has been um, phenomenal for us. All right, great stuff. We're speaking to one of the great Jackaroos, Lindsay Clark, part of the Australian Lawn Bowls team at the Commonwealth Games. Just before I let you go, I may as well get a weather update from you because we're, we're in freezing cold Melbourne. <laughs> Is it a typical summer's day in England, wet and uh, cloudy? <laughs> I would like to say it's a bit like Melbourne weather, I think. So um, it's actually not been too bad, so... Uh, yeah, it's a little bit overcast, but it's about 22, 23 today. We were here actually for their 39-degree heat waves, oh. and they were all you know, not coping too well, but we loved it, which was pretty good. But, yeah, it's actually um, pretty good typical English weather, and, um, yeah, we, we've, we're equipped for all conditions, like good Melbourne at night, no. So it could start off cold, then it gets hot, then a bit of rain and a bit of wind. So, yeah, we get everything over here, but it's good. You're based on the Gold Coast, aren't you? So you'd be yeah. used to the humid weather. There'd be nothing for you. Was it 39 in, in the UK? I know. I was like 30, yes, 39. I'm like, this isn't 30. Well, it didn't feel like a 39 at home. It was actually quite manageable. We trained in it most of the day, and they, the locals were all quite, um, yeah, blown away that we could be out there in it. So, <laughs> no, it wasn't too bad at all. I like that. They probably would have been in a situation like we were when we had the 47-degree day here in Melbourne where all sport was banned. Uh, 39, right. I can't imagine that. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable. Well, Lindsay, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. I know you're on the team bus at the moment. Best of luck. We're all cheering for you. Hopefully you bring home gold and a number of Jackaroos bring home gold in this Commonwealth Games campaign.
Thank you, Damien. Thank you, all the Aussies, for the support. We're getting it through over here and feeling it. Um, don't forget to tune into the bowls on the 7 Plus app as well. There's a little icon on there so you can follow our progress. Absolutely. Good stuff. Lindsay Clark joining us, part of the Australian Law Bowls team. The Jackaroos, hopefully some gold medal success to come. We'll take a break. Back to wrap up on the other side. You're listening in to the Sporting Capital. Damien Watson with you. Welcome back. Just about to wrap up here on the Sporting Capital. Off the SMS, Billy has texted in. Evening, Damo. Could I please ask why Toot Miller hardly gets spoken of in Melbourne? I think he's an underrated footballer. I'm sure if he was in Melbourne, he'd be spoken of more highly. The guy's an absolute jet and consistently in the Suns' top two players week in, week out. I actually have him finishing in the top five of the Brownlow medal. Could I have your opinion on what you think of him as a footballer? I completely agree with you, Billy. I think he's underrated because he plays for a mid-table side who are, I guess, off-Broadway. He's been so consistent consistent and uh, one of the reasons why the Suns probably having one of their better seasons in their history. Just before we do wrap up, I brought in my trusty producer, Lincoln Allen. Great job tonight too, Lincoln, by the way. You're a Dockers fan, as we know. They take on the Demons. Blockbuster game. How do you think they'll go? Good evening, Damo. I think it will be a good game, but the one thing is inside sources are telling me it's going to be wet in Perth tomorrow. Yeah. So Rory Lobb's back on the side for Fremantle. Jake Lee is back for Melbourne. I think the game is going to be won and lost at ground level with the Smalls. I think it's a big game for the likes of Lockie Schultz, Liam Henry, Michael Frederick up forward. If the ball, the ball's wet, hopefully it's Lever will have less of an impact and mm. Lobb can bring the ball to ground. I think the Dockers might get the job done in a close one. How big is that home ground advantage over there, particularly when the crowd are quite ruckus? Heard Simon Garlic during the week said he was expecting definitely at least 45,000, hopefully around 50. So I think it will have a big impact, hopefully, if the Dockers fans can all get there. That's it. Where do you think they'll finish come the home and away season, the end of the home and away season? I'm hopeful that maybe Brisbane can stumble out slightly. We can slide into fourth. Yeah. But to be realistic, I'm going to probably say fifth. Oh, it's good to lessen the expectations because then you won't be as disappointed. But I think they're still a capable top four chance. They've been one of the big improvers over the last couple of years. Well, good luck, Lincoln. Uh, what's your ultimate tip, winner and margin? Fremantle by eight points. Oh, hopefully it's a tight game and it's under the kick. That's probably my margin that I'm hoping for anyway. That wraps us up for the Sporting Capital. Hope you enjoyed the program. Big thanks to you, Lincoln, also to our guests who joined us throughout the course of the night. This has been the Thursday night edition. Enjoy the Commonwealth Games action over the next couple of weeks. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.